want you to think with me this morning about only God, uh, of God's grace in our time of need, both this week and probably next week and maybe the week beyond that. I want to uh, 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 look at various texts of Scripture that have to do with uh, the grace of God enabling us and helping us. We, we might ask the question, how can we make it through uh, the present moment, our present circumstance? How can we make it through uh, through life as sinners. And of course, the only way we can do that is by the manifold, uh, manifold grace of God that is manifested in such significant ways. How can we make it as saints, uh, knowing the, the tendency of my heart to, to wander and to drift from love and faithfulness to Christ? How, how can I do that in the midst of suffering uh, when we're dealing with all kinds of difficulties and and trials. How can we do that as individual believers? How can we do that as a as a church family? How can we do that as a as a local church when, uh, due to this unique circumstance, we are not able to be physically present with one another? How can be we be witnesses for Christ when we're now under the shelter at home advisories? And I, I want you to think through that. How can we, even during this time, how can we? Uh, experience all that God desires us to experience. And, and I come back to the idea that it's only by God's grace, only God can help us through this time. Our need for grace is great. I, I, if you have your Bible, I will quote many passages of Scripture today. Uh, I think often of the text in Ephesians 2 that begins, You were dead in trespasses and sins. He said, You once walked according to the course of this age. You were sons of disobedience. He calls us children of wrath. But verse uh, 4 of Ephesians 2 says, But God, who is rich in the mercy with which he loved us, he has made us alive. By grace you are saved. The Bible is full of representations of God's grace. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, By the grace of God I am what I am. The text that you see on the display, uh, again, is from the life of Moses following the second giving of the law. And he says, I want my goodness to pass before you. And you are the Lord gracious, the one who is sovereignly gracious. Or it's nearby cousin in Exodus 34, where Moses, again, cuts those two tablets of stone. The Lord descends and proclaims his name to Moses. And the Lord passes by. And in that passing by, there's the communication of the, of the essence of God. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Both in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, uh, the writers say that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, many are familiar, Arwana children, perhaps you can quote it in your mind, Titus chapter 2, he says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that grace, verse 12 of that text says, it's a teaching grace, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Or you'll see the text come up, 2 Thessalonians, uh, where he speaks of this. He said, To this end, I pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every uh, resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that 
the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be good then to ask ourselves, uh, what then is grace? Well, previously I have taught these simple definitions. They move from the simplest to the more complicated, but I really want to graduate that even beyond what I've shared. If I were to give you the oral quiz, most of you could fill this in that in one word, we might say that grace is kindness or favor. And then we would add the, 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 the adjective to it. It is the unmerited kindness or favor of God. It is the unmerited favor of God best seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is uh, full of grace and truth. Or perhaps from Philippians 2, we, we might take the definition that grace is God giving me the desire and power to do His will. Or another that I've coined, it's God's current provision to meet our momentary need. Or from 2 Corinthians 12, we would say that the grace of God is the power of Christ that is addressing the weaknesses of my life. And yet I, I really want to develop the idea further and, and do so with a, a, a full, uh, a complete idea of what the grace of God is, building what would be a practical, a full, a, a meaningful idea about what it means that God's grace is operating in our lives. One said of this theme, he said this, so do, what do we need to know about grace? Well, here he spoke is the first and fundamental thing we need to know. The word grace is based upon the Hebrew word loving kindness in the Old Testament. And you say, well, how do we know that? Well, the great translations of the time, they consistently translate the word loving kindness as mercy. But the New Testament would say there's a bit of a development that we have. That's not how we should think of loving kindness as merely mercy. He rather says loving kindness is what we mean when we say the word grace. And when we use the word grace, it is grounded in loving kindness. In the texts that we looked at in Exodus 33 and 34, he, he used the, the term uh, loving kindness, uh, that God is good, that he's full of loving kindness and truth. He's full of mercy and truth. And we know the text from John chapter 1, perhaps you can, you can quote it, that the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the goodness of God as it's described there in the book of Exodus. And it says there, not that he is full of mercy and truth, but rather Jesus came as that word incarnate. He is full of grace and truth. And so what the New Testament says is that the word loving kindness used in the Old Testament does not necessarily mean mercy, but rather it's what we mean by grace. And when we use the word grace, it's grounded in the loving kindness. Uh, so, the, the, so the question is, what, what does loving kindness mean? Well, some would say it's that Hebrew word hesed, it's covenant love, it's covenant faithfulness, it's, it's promise-keeping love, it's, it's sometimes even people put it in the phrase, it's being nice or being forgiven. 
but those still really are not quite adequate. Uh, they're not really giving me a clear, understandable idea of what the grace of God is. So when we think of the word from the Old Testament, loving kindness, and then the New Testament word, grace, what does that mean? And perhaps it would be good to first look at what loving kindness or grace is not. It's first of all, not merely an attitude. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God does loving kindness. He performs loving kindness. It's not merely an attitude, but rather it is an action. And it's decisive action on behalf of people who have very profound need. It's not merely help. It's not just a little bit of help or a little bit of love. Uh, trustworthy Bible commentators observe that when loving kindness is noted, it, it, God's loving kindness actually takes place. Uh, it's taking place in the most helpless and hopeless of situations. Uh, loving kindness or grace is not merely just a little bit of help. It's not merely a little bit of aid. It's nothing short of overwhelming divine uh, intervention into the lives of people. The story that Miss Debbie and I told this morning of the people of Israel uh, taking their exodus from Egypt. I mean, God overwhelmingly does something on behalf of his people. He intervenes directly in the drying of the Red Sea and the people of Israel passing through as on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian pursue uh, the, the waters collapsing over the people in the Red Sea, God intervening in a wonderfully direct and marvelous way on their behalf. God, you see, overwhelms the situation and is unilaterally active. You see, now, uh, it is not merely promise-keeping. The Bible, again, commentators, will indicate that loving-kindness is so lavish that it produces extraordinary results, results that only God can produce and that really we can't imagine. Uh, not only can't they be imagined, they, they can't be repaid, and that's the nature of, of grace. So, so then we've noted what loving kindness or grace is not, but let's look at what it is. And we've already hinted at it, that loving kindness, and by extension the New Testament idea of grace, is God's unilateral intervention into my life as a sinner. It's God's unilateral intervention in the most helpless situation in a way that God alone can act with results that God alone can produce. Particularly or specially, it's God's intervention displayed in the work of reconciling sinners to himself by the offering of his Son incarnate, Jesus Christ. So when you think about First of all, as uh, the primary illustration of loving kindness and, and, and truth, it's what John says in John 1.14, the, the Word was made flesh and He dwelt among us, and we beheld the magnificent glory of God, and God uh, incarnate is full of grace and truth. You see that in this most unlikely uh, image of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Looking 
for what to my appearance is only a human being. But there is the eternal Son of God in flesh and that by His death, God would intervene into the lives of sinners and by the death of Christ, fully satisfying the demands of Himself that He would thereby be able to bring sinners into His presence. He would forgive them. He would give them a right standing. He would reconcile them. And He would do it in a way that we could never, ever imagine, invent on our own thinking. You see, grace is seen best and most often in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. But I could give you numerous other illustrations from both the Old and New Testament. I, I would encourage you to think about what would be some wonderful ways that God intervened in a way that was His uh, movement into a, a helpless, hopeless situation, doing what He alone could do. Could do. I, I think of a man that I'm named after. I, I'm David. I, I think of David picking up five smooth stones and hearing the, the mocking torment of Goliath and that God bringing victory to Israel in the unlikely, unimaginable event that through one stone cast from David's slingshot that the giant Goliath would be slain. Uh, we've already noted Israel's exodus from Egypt. Uh, there's uh, the, the people of Israel in Hezekiah's day. And the Assyrians have come from the north and they've threatened Israel. Uh, they, they are mocking Hezekiah and his people. And, and you may remember the text from the book of Isaiah, how Isaiah lays out that, uh, uh, that letter before the Lord and, and, and un, unburdens his heart before God. And so the next morning, by God's miraculous intervention into the lives of the people of Israel, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are slain by the angel of the Lord. God doing what He alone could do, producing results that He alone can produce, and that all by, by His grace. There's, uh, th there's the hopeless situations in which we live that God steps in. That's loving kindness. That's God's grace. He steps in and unleashes His omnipotence and His uh, power that would totally transform situations and secure uh, the deliverance that God alone can secure. You see, that's grace. That's the nature of loving kindness. And so you move to the New Testament and another illustration, it's, it's John chapter 9. Where, where Jesus heals the man born blind. And it has never been heard that healing has been brought to one who from birth has been blind. And you may remember the different ones, particularly the Jews, questioning the man born blind. And they're, say, they're asking and challenging him and really trying to undermine his being healed by Jesus. And he said, I don't know a great deal about what happened to me, but I know this, I once was blind but I now see because God intervened in a unilateral way, uh, uh, putting his power to work in that man's life, producing a result that, that only Jesus could do. Or maybe even a simple illustration from the 
book of Acts where Saul of Tarsus, Saul, you'll remember, is the one we now know as Paul the Apostle, but Saul breathing out threats and slaughters against the church and on his way to Damascus in order to persecute believers. And God intervening unilaterally in a way that only he can work, producing a result that only he can produce, turning Saul of Tarsus into now one who would love, know, and serve Jesus Christ. So many illustrations are present. It's, it's Peter after his outright forward denials being restored by the resurrected living Christ. It's, it's Paul later in his life coming to God three times about his thorn in the flesh. Some very, very difficult physical infirmity. So great was that physical infirmity that quite literally Paul had come to the end of himself and said, I cannot live and serve any longer with this physical infirmity. Three times God uh, says, no, I'm not going to remove the infirmity because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the very power of Jesus himself so that in your weakness you will sense that power and be able, without the removal of the circumstance, to thrive and, and do that by the divine unilateral intervention of Jesus in your life, doing what he alone can do, producing a result that he alone could produce. So much so that Paul could say, I, I glory in my infirmity, because then the power of Christ rests upon me. Loving kindness, and by extension, grace is God's unilateral invent, intervention with activity that he alone can do, with results that he alone can produce. So think with me about the, the impossible situations of our life. Uh, our great need today is not a COVID-19 vaccine, although to be honest with you, that would be good. Uh, rather, what our need is, is the stupendous unilateral intervention of God by His Son, by His Spirit, by His Word, to work in a way that He alone can work producing results that he alone can produce, bringing glory not to the receiver of the grace, but rather to the giver of grace. So when I think of my, your battle with sin uh, of various types, often powerless against its pull, and perhaps here is the individual that is struggling with viewing wrong images. It's the person today who is constantly beset by overwhelming anxiety and you just can't get free of that worry. It's the spouse that is inflamed with bitterness and there's the utter lack of forgiveness. All kinds of situations that God, by the Son, by His Spirit, would unilaterally intervene to do what he alone can do, producing what he alone can produce to his honor and for my good. And so it's our battle with sin. It's freedom from anxiety. 
its spouses able to honestly and sincerely seek and gain forgiveness from one another. It's in our culture being able to be people in a very unique circumstance to experience the grace of God, the peace of God that passes understanding. And and you see, here is what God does in our life. It, It is what God would do so much so that we would look at our lives and say, wow, I could never have imagined God doing that. We, we might say, boy, I didn't see that one coming. And that, exactly, that's the point. Uh, that's the nature of grace. When God does something that, that, that we can literally take no credit for, we've had no participation in, we have simply rather seen what God alone can work, what He can do to do His great work in our lives. We would look at the events of our life and say, oh my, look at what God did. To be honest with you, in these last weeks, even as we've been functioning as a local church, we're totally apart. We're necessarily separated from each other. And yet we're together. And in a different way, there is a thriving and a growth of ministry And we look at that and say, look at what God is doing in and through our church. Only God, you see, by grace can do what we ourselves are not able to do. Uh, For that reason, in the book of Psalm, and there are so many passages of Scripture that I wish we had a longer time to look at. Psalm 107, 6 says, four times in the text in Psalm 107, There's these pair of verses that are used. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. And then a verse later, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. And he even notes, if you have your Bible open, you can flip it there to Psalm 107 and verse 9. He he says, that he, God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. For you see, when, when God unilaterally intervenes in a way that he alone can act with results that he alone can produce, that's grace. Later in that text in Psalm 107, he, he, he talks about uh, that what, I, what I'll do, I'll, you, you need a drink of water, I'll take the desert. And I'll turn it into this vast body of water. For you see, to to see God unilaterally intervene in our lives in a way that He alone can act with results that He alone can produce, that's indeed grace. So think with me today in, in a rather practical fashion. If we are going to receive God's grace, there's some simple ways we do that. And the first way is to receive God's grace. We must first receive the one who is full of grace and truth. There, there is no grace truly from God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus of our imagination. Not as so many today in even religious circles will fashion a Jesus according to their thinking and their desires and their imagination, but rather the Jesus 
who was declared so plainly and so specifically in the scriptures. To receive God's grace, you must first receive the one who is full of grace and truth. And that, of course, is the day first when we, when we bow at the cross. And we say, God, be merciful to us, a sinner. Uh, there's nothing that we can do to, to, to free us from the enslavement to sin. There's nothing that we can do to free us from the reality of hell. Only you can do that by the work that Jesus did for me at the cross of Calvary. We bow at the cross. And we say, Father, remember me when you go to paradise. Remember me. And, 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 and we are remembered. I, I would also remind you that to receive God's grace, you must openly uh, confess personal weakness and need. Uh, grace is given to the humble. Self-reliant people are devoid of God's grace. If nothing else, I think in this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, it's really brought us to an awareness of our need, uh, our, our profound need before God, that, that we are not self-sufficient, that we are often weak. I, I would thirdly have you note that to receive God's momentary grace, and I'll talk more of this next week, and I would maybe circle that idea of momentary grace as a believer. I, I must be in motion. God does not supply grace to a stationary life. By, by in motion, I, I mean this, that we are presently trusting God, that we are this moment obeying God. God's will is known and understood. We have, by our will, begun to do what we know to be right, though at times even our, our affections may flag. Yet we are in motion in life with God. We're, we're walking with God. And in the words of Philippians 2, we're working out our own salvation. We're doing that with fear and trembling. But it's God who is working in our hearts and lives. It's God giving me the desire, and the power, do it, doing what, what is foreign to me, intervening in a way that he acts, in a way that he only can act, producing what he alone can produce. So, in the impossible situations of your life, to experience God's peace in the middle of a pandemic, to believe that God is good uh, and will accomplish good for us, even if the very worst happens in our church family, uh, to labor for the souls of people who today do not know Christ. They don't have any interest at all in the gospel of Christ. To thrive as a church when literally everything has been turned topsy-turvy, when everything normal for the moment is out the window. Uh, to see uh, families thrive and a church thrive even financially when chaos exists in the job market today. Only God's grace is sufficient. For we see God unilaterally uh, intervening in our lives in a way that he alone can act for he is omnipotent he is sovereign he is infinite in power and wisdom producing results that he alone can produce only god only god can make stones cry out to praise him 
Only God can turn a sinner into a saint. Only God can turn a difficult spouse into a godly husband or godly wife. Only God can bring a prodigal home. Only God can take five loaves and two fish and feed a multitude. Only God can command life from death. Only God can turn a bitter heart into a loving, forgiving heart. Only God can see us through our COVID-19 experience. Only God uh, unilaterally intervenes in our individual and our corporate life in ways uh, that He alone can act with results that He alone can produce. That is our God of grace. Only God. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. There are several who've quoted it today. The simple essence of those words is wonderfully powerful. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made.